Welcome to another episode of Hear and Obey, where we are reading and discussing the text that was preached on the previous Sunday. I'm Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, here with Matt Grun, and uh, it's good to be back another week. Time flies and good to keeps be rolling together with God's people and yes. in God's Word, and this is a highlight of the week for me to mm. sit down and debrief the Likewise. text. So, yeah. why don't you uh, read this passage? This week, Exodus 2, 11 through 25. Yeah. <clears throat> Exodus 2, 11 through the end. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now Now the priest of Midian had several daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered the flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Father, we don't want to be just hearers of the word, but we want to be doers also. Would you open our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things in this word, relying on you to illuminate and to reveal yourself to us. Mm-hmm. Father, give us the faith not only to see, but to obey. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, what a text. It just gets better and better. It does. So Ryan, you, you preach this and... I guess an opening question for, you know, well, maybe, maybe I'm not sure. You, you tell me where you want to start because I think in some sense, I feel like it's worth talking about how you got to where you did and your decisions in, the, in the, the main point that you felt Moses was communicating. So I guess a little bit, I want to get behind that window or behind that curtain yeah. and see a window into that process that of you getting there. I have my own way, you have yours. Um, but then how like how does that relate to it's one thing to do that to preach a message as a pastor to mm-hmm. a gathered people it's another thing to sit in your in your room in, in the morning wee hours of the morning when you're reading this word and how it applies to you yeah the same message same book but i think the process by which that takes place can vary a little bit so mm-hmm. why don't you start with either of those wherever you want to start yeah well i, I think 
the it's helpful to talk about because really it's what we aim to do in our discipleship huddles where mm-hmm. you know we, we preach the word but really we want people practicing um, reading and observing yeah. a passage of scripture and growing in in our ability to identify what is the main point what is the author's main point so that's right. a foundational conviction that we have that passages of scripture uh, mean something mm-hmm. inspired by the spirit of God and God's spirit is working through the human author who mm-hmm. meant to communicate something. So, so really we're trying to get at what did the author mean? So not just what does this mean to me or what do I get out of it personally, but what did the author mean to communicate? So that process of, of observing um, what's going on in the text, mm-hmm. we feel constrained by the text itself. This is just another foundational conviction of ours that um, we're not free to take the text and do what we want with it, but the text itself sets some constraints. And somebody said really helpfully to me, um, interpreting a a passage of scripture is a lot like listening to and and understanding and interpreting classical music. Mm. Um, First time you listen to a song, it it might sound completely foreign and unfamiliar to Mm -hmm. you. But if you listen to it again and again and again, you start to notice repeated themes and motifs right. in in the music. Mm. And so the song itself will teach you how to listen to it, how mm. to interpret it, because it, it's all right there inside it. Mm. Um, and that's the same thing with God's Word. You, you come to it, you read it, you read it again and again and again. Mm. And the more you read it, the more you notice features inside the text. Mm-hmm. And, and the text is going to teach you how to read and understand the text. So yeah, it, to that point, just jump in to that point. It's also to use your analogy of listening to classical music. You do also have to have sh- shelves to, to hang that. Like you need to know what the flute sounds like and what it does and what, what notes it's probably playing and what clef it's in. And like, mm-hmm. there's some technical stuff as well as knowing just music in, in a general sense mm-hmm. when you listen to classical music. But then there's, there's also all the, there's that technical things there's also just a general knowledge of it just that helps when stuff comes at you places think of it like um, hangers mm-hmm. to hang stuff on mm-hmm. um, if you've got those hooks you're you're ready to put stuff on yeah it just helps as you as you walk through it I mean even that time reading just reading it aloud mm-hmm. you know partly because you and I have studied these opening chapters at length um, because we've had we've I've preached one, you've preached one, Greg's preached a couple and we're going to, we've spent time in this book, but also just a lifelong process of reading and yeah. the whole scope of the Bible. Words just stand out as mm-hmm. you read them and you like names stand out and locations and themes. And like you're saying, these motifs, you start to develop an ear to when you hear that, you're like, I wonder, does that, is he talking about this? He talking about, like, yeah. And then you go and look and having a place to know where to look. That See, that's, that's helpful yep. to me. Yeah. So, so really that's, the process for me is mm. reading the passage, rereading it, reading it again, mm-hmm. reading it out loud so that I'm hearing it and seeing it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just kind of marinating in the text yeah. for an extended period of time because you, you see more and more stuff there. Mm. Um, and then just trying to make observations and ask questions about that. So it, it's a lot like... I think of it as really wrestling with the text yeah. sometimes. And, and it's a lot like Jacob wrestling with God when he's, um, you know, he grabs hold of him and he says, I, I won't let you go until you bless me. Yeah. That, that's kind of the mindset in Bible reading and study mm. 
you grab the text and you just refuse to let it go until you come away with something. And it, it doesn't <laughs> yield right away. Sometimes I'm staring at a text thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know what it means. I don't know what I'm going to preach from this. I, I don't know. And, and thinking and uh, meditating on it, asking questions. Uh, I, I'm In narrative like this, I'm looking for what's the emotional impact. So, you know, some specific observations in this passage. Mm. Um, what stands out to me quickly is that there are these three separate incidents where Moses is acting as a deliverer. He delivers the Hebrew slave from the Egyptian taskmaster. Then he intervenes when two Hebrews are fighting with each other. Uh, And then he intervenes when the shepherds are harassing and and driving away these seven daughters of Ruel. So those that stands out, right? There's obvious repetition. Oh, look, Three episodes, three mm-hmm. scenes, mm-hmm. they're all depicting Moses in a certain way, which doesn't immediately reveal the main point, but it, it at least provokes the question, why? Why is Moses being presented in that way right. at this time? Yeah, that, I've thought of, it's interesting, you know, if we took the Bible in just general swaths, you have narrative and you have expository or like letters of logic. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you come to narrative, because we read them differently, we just got out of Romans, which might be the pinnacle of oh, yeah. expository, you know, this, thus, this equals, therefore, hooray. Like you have all this <laughs> very logical language like that. Yes, <laughs> it's like that. Narrative. So it, it, that you need to almost be a, a detective of, of building an argument, almost right. like a lawyer trying to see mm-hmm. how the chain of events has to produce something. When it comes to narrative, though, I think of it like being a movie critic. Mm-hmm. You're, you're picturing the scene and then you're trying to see the themes inside. So, like you said, you read about Moses and you see immediately three scenes of him doing something. Mm-hmm. So the question is to be raised, what does this tell us about the character of Moses? Mm-hmm. And then a second question is within this text. And then a second question is, does that relate to anything we've read about him already? Yeah. Um, and about his, about his past and about who he is. Mm-hmm. And you just start to see these themes bubble up in the character. So to see it almost playing out as a movie reel in front of your head, yeah. a, a seeing the scene play out, that helps me enter the drama. Right. And you start to get the smells and the tastes and all that stuff. And, and like a, a film director, they are going to include certain things and leave mm-hmm. certain things out. They're, they're going to portray characters in a certain way because they want to give a certain sense pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of detail in Moses' life skipped over here. Yes. Uh, in fact, from Acts 7, the timeline there, well, we know from Exodus 7, Moses is 80 years old when he finally goes back yeah. to Egypt. So a lot of years. 80 years. Yeah. Stephen divides Moses' life into two chunks of 40 years. So this happens when Moses is 40 years old. Then he right. goes to Midian and he's there for another 40 years. Right. So tons of details of Moses' life skipped over except these three scenes. Why are these three scenes recorded here? Well, it has some explanatory power. It makes sense of where Moses is for 80 years. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also further confirms that this this guy is going to be significant in the story as a deliverer. There's at least that expectation. So, you know, another observation that I make as I read through this is, um, okay, so we've got these three scenes of Moses acting as a deliverer, but then we've got two different settings. Hmm. The first setting is in Egypt yep. and the second setting is in Midian. 
And that's where a question like, what's the emotional impact of this? So there's a contrast, right? In Egypt is where the people of Israel are. That's where they are enslaved. That's where he was a prince. That's where he has some power and influence. So when it ends with him in far off Midian with, you know, some the priest of Midian and his seven daughters, <laughs> it just seems like a cliffhanger. You know, it's right. like a, a season of a TV show comes to an end and just says to be continued. And you're like, no, what, what happens? And when you've, this goes back to what I said before about having to have like a somewhat general sense. Like if you've, if you have a general, if you've been reading, if you've spent enough time in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, especially the Pentateuch, mm-hmm. you, you know, there are key categories when it comes to the covenant of God and God, his people. One of them is the people of God, Israel. Mm-hmm. One of them is the blessing, which God has given. Of mm-hmm. They will bless, I will bless those who bless you and Christ. But then a huge, huge, huge one is the land. The place. Where they are. Yep. And you you get, those three categories are what is given to, Gen, to Abraham in, or excuse me, Abram in Genesis 12. I will mm-hmm. make you a great nation. I'll make you the father of many people. I'll give you a land where you will bless people. Right. So you'll have a people and a place and blessing. Mm-hmm. So that carries through, and it has, we have to have that in our repertoire of like as we look at the text, because when he mentions, because we've already talked about in the first two chapters of this land, they're they're prospering. The people are prospering in the wrong land, and then you have the people of God under attack in in Exodus one and the beginning of two, mm-hmm. and then now it seems like okay, great. Now there's he the one place he gets accepted, he gets rejected by the people of God in the wrong place mm-hmm. and he gets accepted by the non-people of God in the way wrong place yeah. <laughs> Midian which is way over there yeah. so these categories are just it just is a muscle to develop that as you read these words stand out like locations yeah. and characters and who is in rebellion it's just yep. it's helpful to put those lens on yeah so, so there's an element of you know biblical literacy yeah the, the more familiar we are with the Bible mm-hmm. and with the overarching story, yeah. the more you make those connections, that those, those things stand out. And um, that's the overarching story. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's helpful to think of, you know, people you can nerd out about like canon law or like lore, like the Lord of the Rings canon or mm-hmm. Star Wars canon, where things fit in. You, or a Harry Potter or where does this fit in? Like you, you have, if you know the whole story... And then you see these tiny scenes, you start to pick up on, okay, I know the general swath of the whole story. Mm-hmm. I see this one little scene, and I'm starting to pick up on the characters and who they are and where they fit in the big story. Yep. Because I know the big story, I can understand the little story. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Other observations, I, I think, um, you know, it's significant to me then, as I'm looking at this story, trying to get my mind around what's, what's the main point, hmm. that it ends with Moses naming his son Gershom, mm. uh, the Hebrew word Gershom, Ger means um, you know foreigner, or mm. sojourner, or alien. Mm. So M- Moses is married. He has a son. He has a place to live now. But it's it is at the forefront of his mind. I don't have a home. Yeah. I, I am far from my people. Far from the place where I want to be. Yeah. Um, so, it's, so that comes rises to the the surface as significant in the meaning of this text. Mm-hmm. It, it also stands out. I made this point in the sermon: the, the fact that you've got Exodus two. You could divide the chapter into two parts. Both end with the naming of a child. Mm-hmm. One ends with this hope and expectation. The other one ends with this lingering: Why is he there? Why is he not with God's people, yeah. doing something about their their predicament? Man, that 
and I want to ask you this question. This is why this text or this, this sermon was just so, it was just excellent. Because I want to ask you in a second about that comment that you made at the beginning of your sermon about how you, you, you're taking a, not a different approach, but a lot of people take this, a lot of commentators, a lot of smarter people than us take this a certain way, mm-hmm. the main point of a certain way, and, and you took it differently. And I think, so I want to ask you, A, how'd you get there? But B, what really helped me see it the way that you ended up portraying it, which I had never picked up on. So, you know, I've read this story multiple times. I've spent time studying this these opening chapters before. But the key thing that stood out to me that you pointed out to us was just the the uh, the identity of Moses, his own conscious identity, over and over again in the text, in little details that you pointed out, like his people, he sees himself as a Hebrew, as one of the people of Israel. Yeah. And that effect, and that informs all of his actions, and it informs that ending, why he names his son that way, why he feels like a foreigner. Yeah. Um, that that really helped me as you were explaining it that oh <laughs> yeah of course it's that way and mm-hmm. and in a sense remember Moses is the one writing this yeah like he, he's the one who's off, he's penning this thing he he wants us to know how he saw himself in this in this story mm-hmm. and that that was helpful and it, and it made it, it put such steel in the sermon and in what you were saying and what you were convinced the the main point was because. He saw himself as a Hebrew, and he saw himself as a deliverer. Yeah. And I think I said that we talked midweek about this. Like he's a he's a deliverer. He knows himself to be a deliverer. And what do deliverers do? Yeah. They try to deliver. <laughs> so that seems to be what he's doing. And then mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to mention this, but you also about um, no, I'm gonna say it. So <laughs> this is a little behind the scenes of how we yeah how we work together. Um, you mentioned. Obviously, the book, the Bible is our main text. It's our main source. It is authoritative. It's what's, we find it inerrant without error, mm. and we trust it because it's the very word of God. We only, we don't know anything about Moses' first 40 years between his three-month-old yeah. delivery to, or to when he's pulled out of the water to when he strikes an Egyptian and bails. Mm-hmm. But like you said, Acts shows us that that was a 40-year gap. Well, we've not, you and I haven't lived 40 years, and we've We've had kids and we've had, well, I wasn't going to say it. Some of us are closer than others, but there are other near there, a guy by the name of Josephus, Josephus, ancient Hebrew or Israelite, um, historian, historian. Jewish historian living in the first century, just after the time of Christ. He wrote a history of the Jewish people. It's called the Jewish antiquities. And he documents a story of Moses Leading the Egyptian army against the invading Ethiopians. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've never thought of that before. Yeah. I, I went on, after you mentioned that to us because you were doing research, I went read the whole section. It was just <laughs> fascinating. It was so crazy. <laughs> yeah. But what it did, in the, you know, we, we don't know if it's necessarily yeah, we, perfectly it's accurate. Extra biblical. Extra biblical. It's a historian, an early, early historian who yeah. would have some no. Probably had access to the libraries in Alexandria before those burned up and were lost forever. I heard there the was world. some. I heard there's some good books in there. Yeah, wish we would have read them. But Egypt's history. He would have been in the know, mm-hmm. or a lot more than we would have. And so, but one thing, if it is true, at least we it, it rings true because it's a picture of Moses saving. It's a yeah. picture of Moses acting like like you said, like a man, a dangerous man mm-hmm. who 
when all else seemed wrong, they turned to the Pharaoh turned to Moses to lead his armies to save his people. Mm-hmm. And he acted. Mm-hmm. And he acted courageously. And he celebrated for it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly clarifies, e- e- even if that's not true, so right. say legend about Moses, right. these three instances portray Moses in a certain way. Unless, if you come to the text with your own modern sensibilities mm. and are mainly just distracted by the fact that he killed somebody, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you get hung up on the question, the rightness or wrongness of that, what, what I notice there is... Um, that's not the question that the text is raising. And again, this is where we're constrained by the text. Correct. We oftentimes come with other questions like, well, was that okay or right. not? Um, and, and there's a time and a place for that. Right. But but when I'm thinking about what is the author's point, mm-hmm. I just notice that's not the question that's the text is raising. Right. The, the text is raising a different one. And the theme we see throughout Scripture is... Um, when, when God works, he works through mediators. Mm. He, he mm-hmm. works through um, people. He'll raise up you know, later on uh, one of the judges or a king. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll speak through a prophet. He works through means, the ark and Noah. Um, and the, the blessing is only extended to those who participate under that mediator. Ultimately, so if you're in the ark, you're safe. Right. If you if you believe Noah and you're attached to him, you're safe. Right. If you are with Moses and you're following him, you're safe. You yeah. get through the Red Sea. If you try to go through the Red Sea without Moses, yeah. like Pharaoh found out, you get into trouble. Well, so he, Hebrews one, in the last, you know, God has spoken to in in the in the old times, yeah. God has spoken to us in many times, in many ways through different prophets, different people. Yeah. But in these last days, so the, what you're saying, yeah. all the way to its pinnacle, we see it now in Christ. Christ. All of those benefits of like you're saying, you go through the Red Sea without Moses, you find out. You try and live this life without Christ, right. you find out. Yeah. He, he is the medi- the ultimate mediator between God and man. But God, but to your point, God always uses a mediator yeah. in order to enact with his people. Yeah. And, and you can, if you set yourself up against that mediator, mm-hmm. then you make yourself an enemy of God. Um, it's the it's the covenant God made with Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. That's right. Yeah. And so ultimately, yes, that's true in Christ. And that's where it's so helpful for us. I made this point in the sermon that th- this text is not asking us, well, what are you going to do with Moses? Yeah. You know, are, are you going to follow him or not? Because, well, we didn't live in that time, right. but one greater than Moses has come. Correct. And that is the question for the world. What are you mm-hmm. going to do with Christ? Are you going to submit to him and rely on him? Yeah. Or are you going to reject him? There is no salvation apart from him. Yeah. Only in him can you be saved. Um, and, and you can say, well, I'd rather run my life my way, or mm-hmm. I don't like this or that about him, whatever. Uh, but that's the question that everybody's confronted with. So I, I think yeah. that's, to me, it seems clear, spending time in the text, that's the question that the text is forcing. Right. So in a little bit more about the kind of the process, yeah. you, you know, when it comes to, and this, is not, this isn't just true for preaching, but it's also true for just our own Bible study. Yeah. We want to start, like you're saying and have said, in the text. We mm-hmm. want to know within what what is Moses within his within this own its own isolated context yeah. is he trying to communicate, but because of how because of who God is, and because of what He's done, namely revealed Himself and seen fit to write yeah. through men, carry along by the Spirit. First Peter two, mm-hmm. two Peter one. <laughs> That's what I meant. I always get those two mixed up. <laughs> Second Peter one, carry along by the Spirit in order to have a text that is God breathed. Ephesians. Yeah. Three, no, Second Timothy 3.6. <laughs> That's it. Not Ephesians. We have 
a book that is inspired by God and yeah. useful to us. So this, it's one thing to start here. Now the second question is asked, okay, now is not what do the commentators say? What, right. what are all the right. other smart people saying? Because that's, that's, that's a step too, that's too hasty of a jump. Yep. What we want to know is what does the Bible say about this yeah. scene? So this is where yeah, I think... The scripture interprets scripture. Correct. Yeah. And that that is, you know, we're true blue Protestants. We hold to all the solas. Sola scriptura, scripture alone is what we hold to. And really what that is getting at is scripture interpreting itself. What does it have to say? It's our final authority. So I guess we've mentioned a few times, but Ryan, how did the New Testament's commenting on this passage, A, how'd you know about it? Yeah. And B, what did it tell you? Yeah. Or how did it inform you? Well, you know, before I realized I was the one scheduled to preach this text, um, I, I, this thought came to my mind. Um, just in my own personal Bible reading, read, mm. reading through the Bible again and again, year after year. Um, I, it was a few years ago in just one of those times of personal Bible reading, reading Acts 7 and Stephen's sermon. And I just remember having this moment um, sitting there at, probably at my dining room table thinking, Moses, or Stephen is talking about that scene in Exodus when Moses kills the Egyptian He's talking about it differently than I've ever thought of it. Mm. I've never thought of it that way. Mm. I've I've only thought of it as, yeah, well, you know, nobody's perfect, and David had his affair with Bathsheba, and Moses yeah. murdered an Egyptian, and and I, I can think of times I've heard it kind of used as an illustration of, hey, just don't take matters into your own hands. Don't try to, you know, fulfill God's plan your own way. You mm. got to wait for God's timeline because right. if you try he wasn't to do it prematurely, yeah. he wasn't ready. He's and, youthful. And, you know, yeah. this is. He, he, you know, right um, hearted, but he just got it all wrong. And, right. Um, that, that's kind of how I've heard it said. And so it was just in time of personal Bible reading, Acts 7, and I'm looking at this sermon from Stephen where he's saying, remember that time Moses killed the Egyptian? And he thought his brothers would understand that God was bringing them deliverance through him, but mm. they didn't. And so they rejected him. And Stephen goes on to give a few other illustrations in Israel's history. Yeah. And if you look there, the themes repeated in Stephen's sermon, he's pointing out to the Jews, you always reject the deliverer God That's sends. Right. And he, you know, the climax of it is you murdered the son of God. Right. He sent his own son to save you and you murdered him. Mm. And you know, if, if you don't know how that turned out for Stephen, he was stoned to death shortly after. So that sermon went over real well. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's helpful to have some sense of this is how Stephen, uh, the end of Acts 6 says he was a man full of the Spirit. Correct. Powerful in his words. That's how he understood yeah. Exodus 2. And then we have Hebrews 11. Um, and again, I memorized Hebrews 11 when I was in high school. Um, so that text is mm. in my mind by faith. Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy right. the fleeting pleasures of sin for a short time. Um, so, so that's significant that we've got two New Testament mm-hmm. passages framing this as one, an act of faith, right. and two, a stereotypical rejection of God's deliverance right. by the people that God is going to save. So, the, And then from there, you know, what stands out to me, we've got the last few verses here. Yeah. 23 through 25, with, and, which ends with God hearing and God remembering and God seeing and God knowing. And, and I hope this was clear in the sermon. God's initiative toward his people, mm. God's grace always precedes our cry for help, our repentance, our turning to him. 
he is always moving toward us first. And, and well, we know from Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the world, he chose us in Christ. And right. It's just, that's what stands out is, yes, they've rejected. No, they're not deserving of this. And yet God is going to act on their behalf for the sake of his promise, right. not because they've been so good this whole time right. in slavery. And the lens just, if you take that, the lens just keeps, if you keep widening the lens out and like take, it's like in those, 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 uh, those scenes where like they start, the camera starts on the kid laying in the grass in the middle of the field and just yeah. keeps going out and out and out and out and all, all the way into space. And you're like, yeah. you just get overwhelmed. It's the feeling I have when you mentioned that God isn't, has been acting always to do what he's about to do. And at the end of, at the end of 23, mm-hmm. 25, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He remembered. And I think you were exactly right. Every time God remembers something, when the text says he remembers it, it's not like he forgot. Mm-hmm. It's not like you and I, oh crap, I forgot. I, I remembered I'm supposed yeah. to be here. That's not how God works. Yeah. When he remembers things, it means he never forgot it, but he's about to do something. Yep. And all of a sudden, you open that lens up and up and up, and you realize every tiny little thing from that incident at the well with the shepherds, mm. You know, comes after and other things had to happen in order for him to be at that well. Yeah. Like him being rejected by the people, like him being a prince, like him being delivered out of the river, like that edict being yeah. sent out by Pharaoh in the first place that pushed him from this little tiny Levite family out. In, it just yeah. keep all the way to them going to Egypt in the first place at the end of Genesis. Yeah. It all just like it's overwhelming as it zooms yeah. out. And you go all the way back to Genesis 15. That's and right. You go, oh, and God told Abraham exactly how long it was going to last. Which I will means bring God judgment. had the yeah. end the end of their slavery in his mind before it ever happened. Right. For 400 years they're going to be oppressed. Right. So God was not waiting around right. it for an indefinite amount of time. Mm-hmm. There, there was a, a fixed time, and that just that should bolster our faith. Yes. That, there is a limit, even to our suffering and our yes. affliction when we're going through hard things. There's a limit that God has already set, and it, it doesn't have to do with us. It has to do with him and his wisdom and his grace and his goodness and his, his initiative toward us. And I just think that's one of the ways that this has affected me the most, mm-hmm. being overwhelmed by God's initiative toward us. Mm-hmm. He loved us before we ever loved him. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. Yeah. And, and that he moves toward people who reject him. Yeah. The people he chose are not pictured here as super <laughs> deserving of this. Yeah. Um, God is going to rescue them even though they tend to be rebellious and hard-hearted and yeah. stiff-necked and all the other things that Moses will yeah. call them. Yeah, and that's that's another element of the story of you end you end that scene, uh, that scene in two in two sixteen where he he saves the seven daughters and he's welcomed into this foreign land it's just you're feeling the in you realize he is accepted which is good mm-hmm. but he's accepted by the wrong people mm-hmm. he's accepted in the wrong land and Moses knows that like you said he names himself I'm I'm a, a foreigner sojourning mm-hmm. in a foreign land that he knows he's out of step that something isn't something still needs to come and that's that incongruence of the the, the covenantal trifecta, if you will, mm-hmm. of land, seed, blessing, has not yet lined itself up, and it won't yeah. until Christ. Yeah. And so there's this growing, we're just seeing in tiny form what is going to be a theme throughout the whole Old Testament, oh, yeah. asking, where's the Genesis 3.15 snake crush? Where, when's this dude going to show up and put it all yeah. right? Yeah. Doesn't happen until, until Jesus. Until Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and so, that's right. But you just have these, which, you know, I think, what is that? how does that affect me? 
I'm in my own life and my own suffering and you know, asking, when's God going to make it all right? Mm. What, when is God going to put an end to my suffering? And mm. put, but even in this episode, you see God acting because mm-hmm. God's about to act. He says, and he remembered and God knew. So, so even though you have this scene of, you have tension, some resolution, some question marks at the end, and then the scene ends with just, there's no way to interpret that last thing without the emotional, like it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a music scholar to know the, to, cause it's so visceral. You mm. feel the tension. Like I think of, uh, in the hall of the mountain King, uh, where that, that building up, 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 up. It just, you have this emotional, you're expecting, you don't need to be told mm. this is how you should feel right now. Right. No, you feel it. And I feel it at the end. I think I told you, you feel as you get to the end of that section. It's like when Mr. Beaver says Aslan's on the move mm-hmm. and the effect that has on the children in, in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and the effect it has on the people of Narnia that Aslan's about to do something. Yeah. Something's about to happen. That is the effect we have as we lean and yeah. look forward to chapter three. God has not forgotten no. his people. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, we're at the end of our time. I, I think being doers of this word, because Jesus is the deliverer mm-hmm. God has provided, um, y- even if we've already trusted in Christ as our Savior, our sins are forgiven, we have the assurance that we'll live with God forever, Mm -hmm. there's still a fight of faith in our daily lives. Am I going to trust Christ and believe the promise that all of my security, all of my satisfaction can be found in Him? So every time we're battling sin, the Mm -hmm. the temptation, the, the lie that we're tempted to believe is that we would be more satisfied by turning to sin. Mm. So, so right there, we locate ourselves here in this story, we're, we're tempted to reject the deliverer God yep. has, has provided. When we are under that fog of unbelief, mm. um, I know what it's like to have a bad attitude and you just don't really want to hear from right. your spouse or from somebody in your huddle. I just want to have <laughs> You don't, you don't want to hear yeah. somebody correct you and point you back. So you, you kind of end up like the Hebrew here, who, who made you ruler and judge over us? Well, I don't want anything to do with you right now. <laughs> or the Jews in the New Testament right? who end up stoning Stephen. Right. Yeah. So it's just, you know, I think that's where for us living this out, it's not just a, well, yeah, I, I made Jesus my Lord once upon a time in my life, but it's, it's, a, it's a daily submitting to and relying on him mm-hmm. in the big stuff and the little stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, this text encourages us. Mm-hmm. He is a strong and mighty deliverer, yeah. more glorious than Moses. Mm. So rely on him. Yeah, man, that was, that was a great word. Mm. encouragement to me, encouragement to our church. Hopefully this, hopefully this helps you and you know, you guys in your huddles in an R. I mean, this is such an encouragement walking through it this way yeah. to see how we get there. And it may, may this encourage us as we listen mm-hmm. and as we receive the word on Sundays, may it, encourage and inform us how we hear and obey in our huddles throughout the week may encourage the way that we read these texts on you know day to day to to be looking for and and ultimately i mean you know this i know this we we are utterly helpless Mm -hmm. unless god reveals himself we have nothing um and that is a huge it in some ways it's encouraging because Mm -hmm. or obviously it's discouraging because (laughs) well crap why can't i just do it and get better at it. Well, mm. And there is an element of that, but a greater element is God needs to open his hand mm. and show us. Yeah. The good news is he has. Yeah, He's right. given us his son, 
his spirit, yeah. and we can, we can know him. Amen.